Salutations and shit, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Travel and Shit. I am your host, D. Carrie, and you're listening to your new favorite travel podcast where we discuss more of an experiential, um, we have more of an experiential conversation on travel as opposed to the I went here, you can go to. So um, welcome to Black History Month, motherfuckers. We are here. Um, it's February, and um, yeah, I'm black every month. I'm black every day, every hour, as well as uh, incremental time uh, variations of timekeeping, much smaller and larger. But uh, this is the blackity blackest month of the year, and I enjoy it. Um, this week, I have a beautiful guest with me. If you're watching on the internet, um, you can watch on what is what are you um, YouTube or on Wednesdays. Well, it's going to go live on Wednesday. The podcast is always going to be on the Thursday, but on the Wednesdays, if you'd like to hear the uh, podcast earlier, you're either going to go to the website travelandshitpodcast.com or you can go to the YouTube channel. Just search out travel and shit, and you can hear and see the um, episode sooner than you'd be able to hear it on your digital streaming services or platforms. So this week, if you're watching, you can see my beautiful guest. Guests, thank you for being here. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Thanks so much for having me today, Dee. Um, my name is Chriselle, and I run my own podcast. I'm behind Empowered in Color, but I I'm a huge, huge traveler. I lived abroad for a couple of years in Australia. And yeah, I'm I'm from California. I'm from LA. And I'm excited to talk travel with you. Thank you for being here, my dear. Um, so let's start with what um, your podcast is about. Yeah. So my podcast is actually... Not necessarily about travel, but it does focus on people of color. And it is all about, um, our slogan is helping people of color thrive in both business and in life. So what that means and what that looks like is interviewing people of color who usually are entrepreneurs or maybe are, you know, higher up in, in their respective industries and getting to hear a little bit about their story and hearing a little bit more concrete details onto how they got to where they were, not just, if I can do it, you can do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have a little bit of something tangible for listeners to take away. So that's what my podcast is about. And the reason why I asked you to start with what the podcast is about is because I was reading the description, right? And the last part of it really... Um, is where I want to start our travel conversation. So I'm going to read your description back to you because you did a really great job with it. And so it goes, (laughs) Empowered in Color strives to be a place to find people you can support or purchase product services from marginalized groups. It strives to be a place where you can connect or collaborate with someone who looks like you. It strives to be a place where you can come into a community and not be othered for being who you are. It strives to to celebrate the diversity and creativity of the people around us. And that's one thing that I really, really... um, uh, appreciate it because we all know, well, first of all, how do you identify? I am Filipino American, Asian American, and I'm a straight cisgender woman. Okay. So we both know that media is very much, um, a part of a, I guess you could say a bandwagon culture 
where yes. whatever trend in inclusivity is going on is kind of where things tend to be um, targeted or directed, if you will. And um, it's all well and great because, like you mentioned, it's like you don't necessarily want to feel othered in these industries where you just have to be um, a part of. Like, this is normal mm-hmm. life, you know what I mean? Whether it be what what your professional life is or whether it be a um, a social experience in terms of going shopping, whether or not you're shopping for clothes and you are a full-figured body or you are a plus-size body. Um, and now, you know, media is, oh, we're all size inclusive. We go up to like mm-hmm. a 2X or what, you know, like whatever yeah. the um, way they can jump on a, tr- and it's not that the trends because these are people and these are things that mm-hmm. have always existed. However, um, I think that in travel with social media being such a platform that it is now, mm-hmm. I know for me, it definitely helped inspire me to travel because yeah. I was able to see people that looked like me. I was yes. able to see people that um, were, I don't want to say, because a lot of things are just perception, but I was able to see people who I perceived to be of my same socio um, economic background traveling yeah. to these places. And I'm like, Oh shit. Oh, so like maybe, maybe let me look into it a little more. Maybe, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. If they are doing it or if this person, well, I know her or I know this person is just like, well, maybe it's not as inaccessible as I thought it would be. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, it's fucking not. But that wasn't an idea to me until I started seeing people that looked like me and sounded like me actually traveling. So I'm really happy to see that there's another place in the universe of the internet and of the interwebs and platforms where people can share their stories and not feel othered. So thank you first for having a platform where that is a focus. And in in terms of that, how have you found that your travel has influenced the lens with which you're able to express um, not being othered? Because I know you said that you are, and I don't want to like misquote you, but actively, um, what not Eurocentricizing, but shit. What is it? Oh, decolonizing. There we go. Decolonizing. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. For so it. for me, traveling has really opened my eyes and especially living outside of the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to be aware of things that I don't I'm not completely sure if I would have become aware of them if I were in the U.S. because in the U.S. it's almost like a a fish doesn't know it's wet. Mm -hmm. So there were parts of my identity, especially my racial and ethnic identity that I had had been able to explore living outside of the U.S. And a big part of that, you know, in kind of like what you mentioned, decolonizing Eurocentric beauty standards, that plays a huge role in my story, but it came about because of my travels. Um, So I, you know, I am from, you know, I'm from here. I was born and raised in the U.S., despite what some people may think. I've had quite a few people assume otherwise, which, you know, obviously no shade to immigrants or anything. But um, again, it kind of goes to this 
stereotype even for Asian Americans called the perpetual foreigner, which mm. is where no matter what, no matter how long we've been in America, we're always going to be viewed as a foreigner. Um, but I moved to Australia when my husband, who was at the time, he was just my boyfriend. He was he had moved out there for school and I was working out in um, in a makeup store, kind of like a Sephora Ulta type of store. Okay. And I had been exposed to a lot of South Asian women coming in, you know, beautiful brown skin and, you know, asking me to foundation match them. And um, when I would foundation match them, you know, I thought they looked great, but they thought they looked too dark. Mm. And they would go and grab the lightest foundation on the shelf sometimes and and give it to me and say, put this on me. And... um. Oh, I I could not hear you. I was saying, well, that's <laughs> not how that works. Oh. Like how makeup works. Yeah. But I understand where you're going with it. Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I never I never did it for them because I said, look, I know you probably want someone to put this on you, but I want to be completely honest with you. And I cannot tell you that you will look beautiful, you know, like this if you know, I can teach you how to brighten your skin tone, but I am not going to whiten your skin mm. tone. And that triggered um, a, like the journey that I've been on now for a few years. And I'm not sure if I would have. Um, I'm not sure if I would have encountered it in the same way, if, even if I was working at a makeup store in the U.S., um, just because. I don't think people would be that extreme. I don't think people would. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but it just happened to be that I was living abroad. And then when I went to the Philippines to visit family later that year, I, for the first time in my life, you know, I'd been going to the Philippines back and forth since I was a kid. And for the first time in my life, when going shopping for for beauty products and toiletries and stuff, I was very conscious of how almost literally every beauty product that they sell, skincare, everything had some sort of whitening element in it. And and it was it, it was then that I really had to start being conscious of, you know, what I was purchasing and and the kind of content I was consuming and even how my thought process was being out in the sun. How do I react when I come back from getting a tan, you know, mm-hmm. do I say, Oh, I look so dark. Or do I say, Oh, I got a nice tan, you know, right. and, and really, and really starting to shift um, the mentality beyond that. And um, Australia is not without their own, you know, racism issues, right. um, particularly with indigenous people, but there are things that they do better than than we that like in terms of like like diversity and inclusion and what, okay. whatnot. Then I that I I think that they do some things there better than Americans do. Like what would um, you say? Like something that I noticed out there is that um, interracial friendships are very very natural there and very very common. Mm-hmm. Whereas I in the U.S. they're, they're there and they exist, of course, mm-hmm. but. Most a lot a lot of people here, most people here in the U.S. are in homogenous, you know, friend groups, and and you know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, especially for people of color. Mm-hmm. But in Australia, it's just so, like, literally every every like group of friends that I walked into, 
there was, I, it was never homogenous. It was never it. just all the Asian kids in one group. It was never all the, the black and African people in one group and, and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, there were just other things, other random things that I kind of realized while living abroad and traveling, you know, I had considered teaching English in Korea at one point, And I had asked in one of those, you know, Facebook travel groups, hey, you know, how can I teach abroad in in Korea and teach English? And someone who happened to be a white woman had actually commented saying, you know, I'm going to be very honest with you because you're not white or black. Koreans might be prejudiced against you and and you might have a harder time getting a job teaching. Um, Yeah. And and I was surprised. And then and then um, talking to. A Korean friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine and my husband, she was, she's from Korea. Mm -hmm. She had kind of said the same thing. She said, you know, um, a lot of Koreans, old school Koreans are prejudiced against Filipinos because Filipinos are seen as the help. So, so in, in Southeast, in Asia, Filipinos tend to be the caregivers or the nurses. So in, in East Asia, especially, we're seen as second class citizens. And so they're, and, you know, col- with colorism, you know, Filipinos do tend to be darker than, than Japanese, Korean and Chinese people. So mm-hmm. there is also that discrimination as well. So I realized I was like, oh, wow. And then I had thought about it, you know, thinking about anyone that I, any, like anything I'd seen on the internet of people teaching abroad, teaching English abroad has been either a white person or a black person mm-hmm. and, and never someone in between. Right. So interesting that. Yeah. Um, so then it, and then it opened a whole other thing for me to explore, you know, dealing with even um, colorism and prejudice within just the Asian Asian American community or Asian community as a whole. OK, so I know I had. um a guest I made friends with my Airbnb guide in when I was in was that Shanghai. And I was asking um, Mickey, now mind you, she lives in China and she's, mm-hmm. from my understanding, always lived in China. Like she travels, mm-hmm. she's been outside of China. And so I was asking her, like, do you consider yourself um, a woman of color? And she was kind of like perplexed. Like she seemed a little like, what do you, like, what do you mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, as a Chinese woman, like, do you consider yourself like a woman of, of color? And she was just like, I'm Chinese. Like, I just consider myself Chinese. And initially it was just like, girl, okay. It is, you know, cool. But then I considered it. I'm like, oh, well, she's surrounded by other Chinese people. So mm-hmm. it's there isn't as much other. Well, there isn't enough other for her to have to categorize herself yeah. outside of being Chinese. So as someone who, like, I know that you identify as a woman of color, but what specifically about being, say, like a Filipino woman do you find as part of your experience being a woman of color that you can speak to for my, you know, for the audience? Yeah, um, a big topic of discussion within the Filipino community, especially online, is the fact that even within the Asian American community, you know, I'm talking in the context of America or even Western Western countries as a whole, um, that w- even Filipinos are n- are othered in our own racial group. 
there are people who don't consider us to be Asian American. And even for myself, growing up, um, I always thought of Asian as Chinese, Japanese, or Korean. And so because of that, and, and even the community I grew up in, it was, uh, you know, people of co- community of color, um, working class, immigrant, basically every race except white people. Like, mm-hmm. so, um, but the, the Asian American population where I grew up in was primarily Filipino. Okay. And so for me, I actually never identified as Asian American until college when I went to a predominantly white institution. And there weren't that many um, Asian American or even Filipino people for me to identify with anyway. So that was, I didn't even start identifying as Asian until within the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's been a very interesting experience because even before that, there are a lot of Filipinos who do identify as Pacific Islander Uh because a lot of Filipinos, like, I don't look like it, but a lot of Filipinos do look like their Pacific Islander and our pre-colonial culture is very much aligned with Pacific Islander culture, like lots of um, seafaring cultures, very tribal. We have tribal tattoos, you know, different things like that. Um, But, you know, after the Spanish came in, it really muddied everything up. And so Filipinos, for Filipinos specifically and how we, navigate the world in terms of race, especially within America or Australia or a Western uh, context. It's very interesting. Well, maybe more so in America, because in, in Australia, Filipinos are Asian. But in America, depending on who you talk to, um, we can be Asian, we can be um, we can be Pacific Islander. Um, and then and then a lot of us, it's confusing because we have a lot of us have Spanish names. Right. A lot of our language has Spanish in it. So it, it's very, we have a very complicated, and this is, I mean, this kind of goes Layered, to show that. <laughs> this kind of goes to show that race is a construct because <laughs> like we, like we don't even fit in a box <laughs> either. So yeah. Interesting. So in your travels, like when you were in, Austra- well, how long were you in Australia? What part were you in? I was in. I lived in Sydney, and I lived there for just under two years. Okay, cool. And you—that's where you worked at the makeup location yes. where they wanted to, mm-hmm. like, they wanted to put the lighter color. Yeah. So while you were there, had you had any instances where there may have been, um, I guess, more of? How do I how do I phrase it like where things started to shift for you? Like, is that where the shift in your identity began in terms of how you saw yourself as an American? Now, this was post college for you or this was like while you were in college. Like what time of your life was this? This was this was right after after I finished college. You would already had that opportunity to start seeing yourself as, okay. do I want to identify possibly as an Asian or do I want to identify as more of a like a Pacific Islander? Is there is that a context I'd like to put on my identity? Is that something that I would like to, you know, dive deeper into, if you will? Now, excuse me, after you made it to Australia, how did your um, self-identification begin to 
I guess, get more detailed or more layered? Like with living outside of the country, how did things shift for you? Um, I definitely still viewed myself as um, Asian American. I have not, you know, I've, I've realized from discussions within the Asian American community, even with Pacific Islander people, how Filipinos identifying as Pacific Islander actually erases most Pacific Islander people and communities. And, um, and it was in my time in Australia that I started to think more about the nuances of my ethnic background specifically. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, how Filipinos, how we navigate in, in a society where people don't even, you know, we're, con- we're classified to be Asian, but, but yet there are people who still don't even think that we are, or there are people who, or I've just be, I've I'd also become aware of how even Filipinos viewed themselves. You know, I have, I, I literally have friends who are Filipino American as well. And they've said, Oh, I don't like um, I don't like Filipino culture. We're the jungle Asians, you know, where the where our our cultural you know regalia and stuff like that is not as pretty as other cultures and and that and how so it was from this experience and, and me starting to um, really process this and even traveling to the Philippines myself. And I, when I was last in the Philippines, I was there for five weeks. So really immersing myself in, in the motherland, so to speak. Um, I've started to see how ingrained the self-hate and the colonial mentality is within us. And how does that and look? Like what, it like, just you looks an like, you know, it looks like people saying, ah, uh, like, Oh, I don't want to date him. He's too dark. Or oh, um, and it's not even necessarily a black person. You know, it could just be it could just anybody who's brown. Or um, people saying, "Oh, I want my kids. I want to marry a white person so my kids could be like pretty and mixed." Or, or uh, someone. This person's not even like Filipino. He's Cambodian, which is also Southeast Asian. Um, this guy said, "Oh, I want to marry a white girl and breed out the Cambodian." And I'm like, "Excuse me," <laughs> you know. Yeah, I've heard of that happening. Um, like. Um- Dominican and like, um, well, more, more so like Dominican households where they're just like you. It's I don't know how it's said in Spanish, but like you're bettering the race where you just marry or you procreate with someone lighter so that your children become lighter and like you just lighten as you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do with skin color, mm-hmm. um, and even for and and for me beyond skin color, something that I do. When I do put on makeup, I'm obviously not wearing a full face right now. But when I do wear makeup, I don't contour my nose anymore because there's this there's this saying um, where they say, "Oh, you can tell someone who's you can tell someone is Filipino by their nose, by how their nose looks." Mm-hmm. And and as a kid, I my family they kind of teased me a lot for my nose because they're like, "Oh, you have your grandma's nose," like in a negative way right. because my nose is a little bit wider than theirs. And it's not pointed and stuff. You have a very cute nose, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And, you know, as I've gotten, you know, again, through that experience living in Australia and being very aware of how ingrained colonial mentality and and self-hate and internalized racism is within us, I've decided, you know, like I personally will not 
contour my nose. Like that's not something I'm going to do when I wear makeup because for me, if that's going to be the most defining feature of who I am as a person of color, as a Filipino person, and I don't want to erase that. And so I won't do it. So the, so like, there's like little things like that. And a lot of it is just becoming aware of the things that people say. And, you know, to them, they think it's harmless. They think it's harmless to say things like to, you know, kind of be self-deprecating on, on their background, Mm -hmm. realizing how colonialism and colonial mentality plays into that. Okay. So what was for you other than I would say, cause I know you said that you'd gone back and forth to the Philippines a yeah. lot, very often. So what was the first time that you left the country that wasn't going back to see family? Um, the first time that I left the country that wasn't going to see family was when I went to Peru. I went to Peru in 2013 and um, I had gone with a group of people from my school and we did some, we had done some like, you know, charitable work while we were out there. And, but then we had also had time to um, go, you know, do all the touristy stuff after we were done with our work out right. there. Um, and it was, it was a really fun experience because, yeah, I mean, it was my first time. Every time I had left the country, it had been to visit family and the, and for the first time I was traveling somewhere that wasn't the Philippines. So it was, it was a really fun experience for me. And then obviously since then, like I've, I've traveled to other countries since and, um, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting for me. And it was also the first time that I was traveling with white people (laughs) and, (laughs) And it was very, there were like little cultural things that I did not, I was not aware of. Cause to me, it was so normal because Peru to me was the Philippines in Spanish. Mm, interesting. Um, like I, you know, I could have looked like them and, and, um, and again with the, and like the way that the country looked remind me so much, reminded me so much of the Philippines, except everything was just in Spanish. Okay. But yeah, I was aware of small little cultural things that to me I thought were normal back home because that was how I grew up, you know, growing up in an immigrant household. But like what? going there and, and, you know, I was with someone who was a white person. You know, we both ordered the same thing. We ordered a, a seafood dish. We ordered a fish. It was like a fish dish. So it was mm-hmm. like rice, fish, and some sides with it. And it, when it came, it was a fried fish and it was the whole fish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me – it's normal. When when you go to the Filipino market, that's what you get too. So I, I didn't even bat an eye. And this girl gets her dish and she literally jumps out of her seat and creates a whole scene in the restaurant. She's like, oh my gosh. And she just freaks out. And and I was like so, con- like I, I knew, I, I picked up very quickly why, but I was like, like calm down. Like right. it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not that serious. Like, I was like, it's not a big deal. And she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this. How can someone eat anything with the face, with the head attached to it? And she just made a big deal. And she had to like make a big deal about putting a napkin covering the head as if everyone in the country was like doing something wrong, like by eating with the whole body. And so, I don't know, it was just 
it was just like very, very bizarre for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's the first and last time I've ever traveled in a group like that. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, God bless the allies, but some of them are just uh, a bit much, if you will. I I can, um, yeah, I went to a PWI high school and a PWI college, and I definitely remember what that transition from being in a school where everyone looks like you, everyone kind of lives a very similar life as you, y'all get the same jokes, you understand, like, the same cultural references, so now going to a school where it's like, oh, so you you're not that. Oh, you've never seen that. Okay, oh you. Oh, so you've never yeah. heard of that. That is a thing, girl. Oh, okay, never mind. And so then it's just <laughs> like you just. Some of them it's like, okay, no, I'm going to explain it to you because you're cool and I want you to get it. But other people it's just like, no, <laughs> you would like, cover no. the face of the fish on your plates. They would be one of yeah. those. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, going to college, I'm, I'm grateful for the college that I went to. Mm-hmm. Where did you go? Um, but it was, I, I went to, you know, but I went to a conservative Christian university oh, and going there made me very liberal. Um, my, my values and my views are still what they were, but, you know, I, I've heard people say, oh, as you get older, you'll become more conservative. And that actually, that has not been the case mm-hmm. for me. Um, but I, I'm grateful for going there. I learned a lot and it was actually the first time that I code switch, like, you know, all of that, but it was also very isolating. You know, I, I only went to college 20 minutes South of LA Okay. and yet That's I felt so like I was me. in a, com- I only went to school 20 minutes away from where I lived. Yeah. And, and I felt like I was in a completely different world and I was like, you know, and, and people, you know, when people would ask where I was from and I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm from Long Beach and that's a city just outside of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Where? And, and then-, then the only thing that they would get, like, I would be like, it's next to Compton. And they're like, oh, my gosh. Like, And they're just like freaking out. And <laughs> it was I. Yeah. And then and then there were the people that asked where I was really from. And I said, I'm from, I'm from Long Beach. I was born there. And they're like, no, where are you really from? And I'm like, my family is from the Philippines, if that's what you're asking, or, or just asking when I learned how to speak English. And they're like, oh, my gosh, your English is so good. Shut up. Seriously? Yeah. I got that a lot in well, college. Damn. Yeah. I got that a lot. They're like, oh, my gosh, your English is so good. I'm like, that's my first, that's my first language. What are you talking about? Or... Um, them telling me like, oh, you kind of have a Filipino accent. And I'm like, no, I don't because I know what they sound like. Right. They don't sound like this. <laughs> oh. And, you know, just like a lot of really ignorant comments. And even before then, I never like identified as like American, not mm-hmm. because I'm not American, but because it was just something I felt like it was assumed, you know? Okay. Right. Because, you know, growing up in a community of color, we're all people of color, but we all know where most of us are born here, you yeah, know, and yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just, and so that was, and in my own country, in my own home state, people were questioning me being American and I was, and it was just really bizarre for me. And it, it really kind of like caught me off guard. Like I knew I was going to deal with like microaggressions and stuff, yes. but I didn't expect it to be what it was. And, 
mean, and I just felt like, and people had no idea what to do with me because for a lot, it, what it seemed like was even in my own home, even in my college that again, wasn't far from where I lived. People's experience with Asian people were either they were immigrants or they were whitewashed okay. and I was neither. And, you know, I was born here, but yet I was very connected to my culture and people did not know what to do with that. And people were really confused. And I was like, this is normal. I don't know. Like, um, so it was very interesting. And and I was very happy to have, like, right after I finished school that I, I traveled and moved abroad because it I kind of, not I was suffocating in that environment, but I was really ready to get out of that environment. And, and I've been out of college for a few years now. And the people that I do keep in touch with really are mostly people of color. I don't really keep in touch with um, many other people outside, like outside of that from college for that reason. So in your travels, have you had anything? um, Well, no, I guess more what I'm wondering is how the same, like the way you were treated by the people like in your school how they were just so oh wow oh my god like you're you're american did you have you had that experience abroad like what has how do you feel like you've been received by people when you were traveling um in australia i didn't get that often i got it maybe once or twice i was very thankful to have had a positive experience in terms of that kind of thing. I mean, there were a couple of times that I encountered people who kind of viewed me as a stereotype, like a like like the submissive kinky Asian girl. There were okay. people who th- there were people who assumed that of me when they met me, and that was really disturbing because obviously, you know, this is coming from like men, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I got that a couple of times living in Australia. Um, while traveling to other countries. How does, but how does that look? Does that look like them assuming like you may have been a prostitute? Because I know that that was one of the things that I was very aware of. I'm trying to think of what country it was. I want to say that it was, fuck, I don't remember, but I know there was one country where someone had said to me, as a black woman, that's one of the first things that they're going to likely think of you if you're walking alone by yourself or like if you're in shorts or something like that. And so like I always had it in my mind and I I don't remember where the fuck it was, but it was one of those things that I always had like in the back of my mind, like, what is your tone? How are you talking to me? Like, why are you looking at me? You know what I mean? Like, so what did it look like for you in like the instance where it happened? Um, It was actually just, you know, with in, not in passing, but uh, I worked at a shoe store when I was living in Australia and, and one of the guys who would like deliver mm. the shoes, he had like started asking me questions and kind of had like assumptions, you know, again, the typical racist assumptions about Asian women. There was another, there was another guy, you know, a British white guy who was living in Australia and, you know, I was already married to my husband and he, you know, just he he had made very inappropriate comments and basically said some said certain things along the lines of you know my ex-girlfriend was filipino i have a type and i'm like no nah, you colonizer get away from me yeah, <laughs> like um so it was it was just kind of things like that and it wasn't really like 
strangers. Um, when I traveled to, I traveled to Bali for a bit with my husband and a friend of ours, and we were able to blend in mm-hmm. uh, because uh, Indonesians and Filipinos we have a common ancestor, and our language has a common ancestor. So everyone there would speak to us in Indonesian, and we were like, oh, I don't know yeah. anything. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the first time that we were able to blend in while traveling. Um, in Korea, we did not get to have enough time there to really kind of experience anything like good or bad in terms of with people. Um, we, it was basically like a long layover. So, um, yeah, that wasn't, yeah, that we didn't do much there. Um, and then the most recent country I went to was Mexico and I actually felt very comfortable in Mexico. I know a lot of people were kind of before I went, people were like warning me and my friends, like, Hey, be careful, you know, all the, the, the cartel and, and, and everything. And, and I knew that I wasn't worried. Like, right. I mean, I, I was, I was not careless, you know, cause as I a totally woman, you understand. kind of can't be careless. You can't afford to be careless while traveling, but I wasn't worried like in the way that people were sensationalizing it to be. And, and, you know, I, can get by in Spanish. So I was, I was fine. And, and, you know, my name, I can pronounce my name to make it sound Spanish. My, my name is Spanish, so I can kind of get by and like, and pass. So yeah, that's, so it's been very interesting for me to kind of like navigate, uh, blend, blend in and be able to adapt like that. I totally understand what you mean by not being, um, like foolish or reckless abroad. It's like where people wonder like, oh, you don't get scared. I'm like, no, I don't get scared. Like I live alone. Like nobody is scared when I'm in like my neighborhood by myself. Nobody yeah. is afraid. Like if I tell you I'm in Brooklyn at two o'clock in the morning by myself, you're not scared. You know what I mean? Like you're like, oh, you're outside at two o'clock in the morning by myself. Like, yeah, because I know where I'm going. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going someplace. I'm not just standing in one spot randomly at 2 a.m. waiting for something to happen. It's just like as a solo travel uh, traveler, I'm just aware of my surroundings the same way I'm aware mm-hmm. of my surroundings when I'm home. It's like you don't yeah, automatically exactly. go abroad and then just lose all your fucking sense. Like you don't go abroad and yeah. then just decide that, oh, let's be as reckless as I can possibly be. Like I will do yeah. more reckless things abroad, but I'm think I'm in terms of like um activities and stuff, like I may go snorkeling in the middle of the open ocean or I might, you know, like I booked a swim with the mantas and it scared the shit out of me. Like I was <laughs> totally petrified to do it. And that's actually why I booked it because I was afraid to do it. But I tend to be more adventurous when I'm on vacation, but I can definitely identify with the, Oh, you're, people always ask, why aren't you scared? Or oh, that's so scary. Or you're so brave. And I'm just like, I, I don't, it doesn't register that way for me because I use the same level of caution abroad that I do when I'm at home, because I realize that there are just certain things that I am not willing to put myself at risk to accomplish. Like I'm not a nightlife person in general. I'm not a, a a party club kind of bar kind of girl. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm all for a good bar. I'm all for a good lounge. And I will occasionally go to a bar like by myself, but like a hotel bar or like I'll go to a local bar and like, or I'll go to a restaurant and then like sit at the bar or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? But it's just not, it, 
there's a certain level of awareness that you always have in the yeah in your dealings and movements when traveling and I think that a lot of people immediately think of the um sensationalism of the news or like movies and things Mm -hmm. that they've heard from other people and then like they've never gone and it always registers with like a grain of salt on my shoulder when someone says oh wouldn't you or shouldn't you be afraid of when it comes from someone that hasn't been there now if you have been there before or if you're from there or if you've got family that's currently there and you speak to them you know frequently and you're saying to me for example, I have wanted to go to Haiti for the longest. I would, yeah. I really, really want to go. And it's on my short list of places that I want to mm-hmm. go. But yeah. I have friends that are from Haiti and I have friends that have family currently in Haiti or have like made really good connections with people there. And they're like, mm, maybe not the best time to come through it. And yeah. you know why? Yeah. Because I live here and I'm telling you that this yeah. is what I'm going <laughs> through and I'm saying yeah. like, and Those are the warnings that I will definitely take heed to. But I know that you had mentioned um, your last trip in Mexico, and I know that you had some kind of, I don't want to say traumatic experience, but isn't that where you lost your passport? (laughs) Yeah, I lost my passport there. And, or I thought I did that. It was, I thought it was a misunderstanding. What happened with that? Um. I, you know, it was our last day. We were cleaning up our Airbnb. So it was a girl's trip. It was for my 25th and my friend's 30th birthday. And so we're all cleaning up. Our our flights are all departing Cabo, San Lucas at around the same time within a few hours. So we were all just going to go to the airport together. Okay, cool. Packing up, you know, I'm checking my purse. We're about to leave. I'm like, okay, where's my passport? And I realize it's not there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, I don't know where my passport is. So we like, we had packed all of our stuff and we were like, we went back up to the Airbnb and searched every corner. We searched the room I was in. We searched, I searched my purse. I took everything out, put it all back in. Nothing. I was texting my husband. I was like, babe, um, I don't have my passport. And he's like, he's like, can you just tell them to search their bags? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, hey guys, can you guys please search your bags? And they're, they're, they're just kind of like, yeah, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, I'm sorry, Chriselle, like we love you, but we're going to have to take you to the embassy. And and so they dropped me off at the embassy in Cabo, but it wasn't a full functioning one. So they didn't have the full services. So what they said was basically like, you're going to have to book a flight to Tijuana and walk the border. <laughs> and, oh. and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, what did I do to myself? My main focus and, would be, how much was that flight going to be? How much was like the change um, of flight? It probably, I mean, I would have had to probably eat the fee if I did that. And I would have just had to pay for a whole new flight. Um, I don't think it would have been that expensive. That's what my fear is, is that it's always some I don't number know. that I don't have. I know. Um, but, you know, I, so my phone, the Uber app, for some reason, even in America, like it just doesn't work on my phone for whatever reason. So one of my friends had booked an Uber for me to go to the airport And um, I was talking to my Uber driver in Spanish. I was trying to explain the situation to him. He was like, he seemed like a nice guy, but he was like, oh, um, it's going to take too long to to fly to Tijuana. I can drive you. And I'm like, "Uh, no, no, thank you, sir. Uh, You can just take me to the airport. Because that just, I don't know where you think you take me. Oh, I was like, "Um, you can just drop me off. It's fine. Um, 
And then the same friend who booked my Uber was like, Crystal, you're not going to believe what just happened. I'm like, what? And she's like, I have your passport. <laughs> and I said, what? And she said that she had it in her suitcase because on the first day that we got to Cabo, we dropped off our stuff at um, the Airbnb before we had to go back to the airport to pick up my friend's sister. And I was like, oh, I don't want to bring my passport with me. And my friend was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave it too. Oh. So I said, oh, can I? And I forgot, you know, this conveniently left my mind when I was looking for my passport. And I had asked her, hey, can I leave my passport with you? And she said, yeah. So that was a big. It left her mind also. So it's the two of you forgot that yeah. you had that conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we both forgot that we had that conversation. And, you know, thankfully, she was on the same flight as me. Mm-hmm. So oh, I was able sweet. to meet up Just with them her in there. the next of time yeah and my friend my one of my my best friend she's fluent in spanish it's funny she's she was like she was like the whitest person on the trip (laughs) but she was the one who was our translator but she she was also on the flight with us so she had gotten my passport and brought it out to me out of she, she like walked back out of security to like give it to me and she kind of explained the situation to the the like security guards like right um anyway it ended up like working out but sweet but and then later that day that friend who forgot that my passport was in her suitcase also almost wasn't able to fly back to LA with us because we (laughs) we had that day was just a nightmare we we had a layover in Mexico City Mm -hmm. and um have you you've been to Mexico before I had a, I too had a layover in <laughs> Mexico in City. <laughs> and I tell you, I was even small, that close from booking a day tour. And I was leaving Peru and I got to the airport for them to tell me I waited in line for an hour to check into a <laughs> flight that had been like nine hours delayed. Uh-huh. So I ended up only having like three, four hours in Mexico City. So I just sat in the airport when I got there because I spent nine of those hours in Peru where I should have been frolicking and gallivanting through the streets of Mexico City. So (laughs) technically, yes, I've been to Mexico City, but I didn't get to leave the airport. Well, when we entered Mexico, when we went to Cabo, we, you know, we were given a paper to kind of, it's like a, like an immigration paper, Mm -hmm. kind of just stating who you are, what are you doing there, blah, blah, blah. Right. And we had to give that back before we boarded the plane oh, to go back it. to the U.S. And this friend put it in her checked baggage. Well, oh, the flight, our flight from Cabo to Mexico City was full. So we had to check in our carry-ons. And her immigration paper was there. And we were like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So we had to like, we had to run, you know, our friend, the tran- the the translator, the interpreter, she was like asking everyone like, hey, where can we get this paper? And, and they were giving us mixed responses. So we were running around in circles until we finally found the place where we could go mm-hmm. to get it. And then we had to pay like, or my friend had to pay like 800 pesos to, to, um, to be able to get a new paper. Uh, or 500 is, I mean, that's a big difference, but it's something along those lines, like a few hundred pesos to get a new immigration paper. And she didn't have enough cash, but my, fr- my other friend did. So she covered her butt and like, we like made it. Oh my, we, we just barely made it to the gate. 
like right as they started boarding. That is wild fucking, let's see, if it was, I'm converting it, guys, because I'm very curious to know. Let's just say 500. 500 Mexican peso. Okay, it's $27. It's $26 okay. and like 79 Ooh, I but we were like, but it was cash only. So it was cash only. Right. And, you and know, so you spent we had spent all of our cash because had, we're like, right. we we're about to leave the country. So it was. Damn. Yeah, that day. Too. That's how they get you. That, that day was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Total shit um, that sucks. We wanted, you know, we had a, a three hour. Was it three? Three or four hour layover there. And we I was kind of hoping that we would have gotten to leave Mexico, like leave the airport to go see Mexico City because I have some friends that had been to Mexico City and they said it's an amazing, yeah, amazing city. Really, really great architecture things. and city planning. Cause I I worked in architecture for oh, sweet. a period of time. So, you know, I had become very aware of how cities work and what's what does well in cities. And Mexico City is constantly being used as an example of wow. good city planning that prioritizes bikers and pedestrians and stuff and isn't reliant on cars um but we didn't get to that because the guys at the airport were like uh you'd be better off just staying here like as in like it's not that safe so we're like okay well we'll just stay here um but yeah that was that was our fun end to our mexican adventure (laughs) that fucking sucks jeez and it's just like it was it's not even like it's the day before and you've got the whole, okay, let me just take a nap. Cause that's my go-to. Like when I'm like overwhelmed, it's like, let me just take a nap. And I'll just like decompress and then wake up and then reassess, figure it out again. Yeah. Not when it's, we got to get on this flight. Like, and then also like everybody doesn't want to leave you, but at the <laughs> same time, it's like, sis, I don't have another five, $600 to pay for my flight to change because we're looking for it your password because in everybody else's mind it's like girl you lost it I don't know what to tell you that fucking sucks okay so I know I I was listening to your podcast right empowered in color and you were really transparent about um struggles that you'd had with mental health how have Mm -hmm. your travels influenced how you deal with your mental health Ooh, I would say that traveling is always reinvigorating for me and my mental health um because travel is such an important thing to me. Like, it's not just, oh yeah, I want to travel. No, like to me, it's a very core part of who I am. You know, I'm very thankful that, um, that my love for travel was instilled in me into me at a young age. Cause growing up, both of my parents worked at the airport. My mom worked at like one of the concession stands at the, like the newsstands at the airport. And my dad, had always worked for like the airlines mm-hmm. um, at the check-in counter and stuff like that. So I grew up going to the airport when my when we when me and my sister were kids. My dad used to take us um, to the top of this hill in LA where we would just like buy Chinese food and just watch all the planes go by. Oh, so cool. like it was instilled into me a, from a very young age. And travel is just always something that has been a great thing like for my mental health and it's been great for me to get away. So for example, last year was one of the most, last year was simultaneously the best and worst year of my life. And, and part of that, you know, I took a self kind of like a self care trip to San Francisco 
And I had used like my my credit card miles and stuff to to be able to do it and, and make it like affordable for me. And even though I had like traveled by myself, like traveled on a plane by myself to Australia and stuff, it was my first time traveling solo where I wasn't meeting up with anyone when I got there. Like I was completely like just doing it all on my own. So, and you know, for me, I thought it was a good first solo trip because I was already somewhat familiar with San Francisco. Okay. Um, so I wasn't completely like lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, so I kind of took that time to really relax and just enjoy having some time to myself and really kind of just decompressing and thinking about, um, kind of processing what was going on at that time and figuring out what my next steps were going to be. So, you know, travel is just like it's it means so much to me that's the reason why I don't I'm not like my husband and I aren't having kids yet you know otherwise because for me I'm one of those people that I like I really want to be a mom like I really want to have children one day mm-hmm. and but the reason why I won't have children yet is because I want to travel and I'm you know if I could afford to have children and travel at the same time shoot then I would right. have then I would do it but I can't so <laughs> I'm going to choose travel right now um like even right now my husband and I were in the process of um planning a trip within the next few weeks and for me it it's going to be very much needed because you know, I'm I'm freelancing right now and, and it's just very stressful and I kind of I need to take the time away to just, you know, get away from all the stress of work and remind myself that my situation as it is right now is temporary yes. and that, um, you know, and that things are going to get better and, and traveling does that for me. So that's that's what that's what travel is for my mental health. It's definitely it's almost like a medicine for me. Hmm. Have you, um, I guess, learned any practices from abroad or for any other countries that help you, um, I don't know if balance or maintain, like, stability would be? Like, I'm trying to think of something that I picked up for, well, I know that for me personally, being outdoors is more calming than I would have expected it to be. And I'm like, I'm very much so a city girl. Like I born and raised in Queens and I work in Manhattan and I love being a New Yorker, but there's something about being outside and seeing like a new mountain or just seeing like Mm -hmm. a new green, I don't want to say, because just seeing new green scenery that is always just like settling for me. So for me, when I travel, like the most relaxing part of it isn't just like the being someplace else, but then it's also getting to see like nature from abroad Mm -hmm. that for me always just is, it just makes me more reflective and more appreciative and it makes, it allows me to slow down. Like, is there anything from your travels that you may have picked up that you know for yourself is something like that soothes you or something that you would suggest somebody maybe try um, if they find that they're struggling with something while they're home? Um, I think for me, it would have to be very similar to what you were saying um, in terms of just being outdoors. For me, like you, I am a city girl. I grew up 
I'm, I didn't grow up in LA, but I've always grown up in the greater LA area. Mm-hmm. And I can't really imagine myself living outside of a major metropolitan area. And for me, kind of like you traveling, it, it just reminds me of and of how big our world is, but also how small it is at the same time. Absolutely. I think my favorite part about traveling is immersing myself into a culture and really getting to know it because I can appreciate the beauty of it Mm -hmm. and how it's so different than what I'm used to or what I know or whatever. And, and just really be able to take it all in and kind of, uh, I don't know, just, just appreciate it for what it is. And, and in turn, you know, it makes me grateful also, especially when we're traveling to, you know, like not non-developed, like countries that are not as developed as the right. U.S. I'm, and, and again, being the child of immigrants, you know, I'm all, it always grounds me and reminds me how, how much of a blessing it is to be living in the U.S. and how much of a privilege it is for us to be in the U.S. and be able to travel so freely because I have a lot, you know, I have family all over the world, but, you know, my family, particularly in the Philippines, they rarely ever get to leave the country, you know, and and, um, for them, if they can even just go to Malaysia or Singapore from the Philippines, like that's, that's a big deal or go to Korea, you know, and, and, you know, for them, why don't it's they hard get to, to travel a lot? Is it like financial or is it because like I think a lot, a, I think a lot of it is financial okay. and probably visa things, you know, I Philippine people with Philippine passports, you know, do not have as easy visa access as, okay. as Americans do. And, um, and then that was another thing that I learned while living abroad was seeing how many people, not saying that ev- all of my friends that married someone from Australia or Europe or America married them just for the passport. But, but that I've noticed like, oh yeah, like that's a very common thing. Like not saying that they don't love that person, but like a lot of people marry these people and they're like, okay, yeah, now we got that American passport. Now we, or that green card, or we got that, that Western passport that will allow us, you know, more freedom and stuff. Again, kind of grounding me and bringing me back to, okay, like, despite the issues I have with America, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very much thankful to, to have been born here and, and to, to be from here for many reasons. But yeah. So where, where can people find you? Like, what is it that you do in freelance so that if anyone is looking for a freelancer in your industry, they can contact you? Like, what is it that you do in like for work? I am a freelance social media manager, a podcast editor, and I am a crowdfunding consultant. So if anyone is looking to crowd like crowdfund your project, it could be a new business venture or maybe you're looking for a unique way to market your brand or create brand awareness. You can come talk to me about crowdfunding, but besides that, you know, social media marketing and podcast production is pretty self-explanatory so yeah and so where can the people find you um you can find me on instagram at instagram.com slash chriselle k-r-i-s 
E as in echo, L-L-E-M as in mouse, G as in gate. Right. <laughs> um, and you could also find Empowered in Color also on in- Instagram.com slash Empowered in Color. And yeah, that's kind of where you could find me. Thank you very much for joining me this week. I really appreciate your perspective and thank you for being so open and sharing your experiences. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. All right, guys. So thank you for listening to another episode of Travel and Shit. Like I said, every Thursday on your digital streaming shits. And um, if you want to see this episode, you can just search out Travel and Shit on YouTube or go to travelandshitpodcast.com. And um, we're there also on Travel and Shit Podcast. Um, I have links and information for the um the what what do you call those the excursions that i booked um so that if you'd like to surf if you would like to have um any type of history immersion and or if you just want customized tours throughout your stay in guadalupe that information will be on the website as well so thanks for listening guys and i will see you next week bye